welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It's a 2GSP week here, and that speaks to just how much is going on throughout the tennis world, the news on the top of tennis fans' minds everywhere, the fact that it looks like we are going to see professional action during this 2020 calendar year, the ATP, the WTA, the ITF, all gearing up to resume their seasons in August. We actually got to see what the tentative first eight weeks of the ATP schedule would look like. We also got a complete release WTA schedule for the rest, again, of that 20. 2020 calendar year. Uh, and folks, the action starts at August and it gets rocked and rolling right away. We're at the City Open for the men. I believe we are in Italy for the women. Of course, then all of the top players in the world will be in the New York bubble at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center uh, for a consecutive Western and Southern Open US Open three-week stretch. From there, they'll head to Europe and they'll be on the clay and they will eventually play the French Open, all of the events that follow as well as a little bit of an indoor hardcore stretch come November. Uh, It's a fascinating time, certainly, to be a tennis fan because there are still so many details we are learning, so many things we don't know. Uh, Of course, the U.S. Open on Wednesday hosting a press conference trying to formally announce some of the details, some of the COVID-19 procedures that have been put in place uh, to ensure that the event can be conducted safety, to ensure that the health of all of these players are at the top of our minds. You know, we don't want to be playing these events, of course, if we can't do our best. You can never guarantee 100 percent, but you know, 99 percent, all of the protocols, all of the testing in action to ensure uh, the health of all of these players. And of course, it ultimately still is going to be a personal, individual decision because as we've mentioned before, you know, yes, these athletes less susceptible to uh, the more dramatic, dramatic the wrong word, the more, I suppose, violent effects of this global pandemic, of this coronavirus. Uh, but of course, if you are an asymptomatic carrier, you can still pass it on to a loved one and maybe they are not as protected from the virus as as you are. And so ultimately, it will come down to a decision for each and every one of these players. But uh, it is a decision now that they will all likely have to make. And that is because the USTA has gotten their act together and they are ready to put this event forward. And of course, that means it's a 2GSP week because as we know more details, I want to talk about those details, help inform you listeners about everything that's going on. And the only guest I could possibly think of, the first person I texted to talk about all of the action right now throughout the professional tennis world whether it be the U.S. Open, whether it be, of course, uh, following the tragic killing of George Floyd. We've seen so many players use their platform to uh, try and inspire change, try and fight for causes of social justice, social equality uh, that so many of us, not just in the United States, but around the globe have gotten behind. Uh, And I talked to, you know, this guest about that as well. We also talk about, you know, I want this guest's take on all the exhibition events, what he thinks their place are in the normal tennis calendar. And that guest, of course, is no challenges remaining podcast host, the writer for the New York Times, and of course, a guy who is a frequent guest here at Crack Rackets. Uh, ben Rothenberg joins the show today. We talk about all of those topics and more. Whenever Ben comes on, we always joke beforehand, it's a minimum hour and a half conversation, right? And that's what we did today, so I'm going to save all of those details, the rest of the talking for the podcast. I will say quick, 
exactly that these Great Shot podcasts are made possible due to the support that we get from our friends at DraftKings. And I just mentioned all of those exhibition events. Folks, tennis may not be certified back, but it's back. If it's action you want to watch, you can follow it across the globe, whether it be men's or women's action across multiple different continents. Uh, there is tennis going on right now. And, you know, as always, tennis remains one of the only sports that sees action 24-7, 365 days a year. Uh, we here at Crack Rackets do our best to break down all of the results, analyze the game's emerging trends, and offer you accurate predictions of what we think will happen next. That being said, as fun as it is to watch the sport and break down each match, we're all still tennis players at heart. And as such, we all want a piece of the action. That's why we at Crack Rackets are thrilled to announce our new partnership with DraftKings. We know listeners of this podcast are the most informed tennis fans in the business. But what's the point of having out all of that information if you can't act upon it and take advantage of it? That's why we think it's time for you to bet on tennis. And here's how you can do it. You're going to go to DraftKings.com. You're going to create your Draft Sportsbook account and make a deposit. DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. Once once you make your first bet, they will also match that with a risk-free first bet of up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash cracking rackets to play. That's dkng.co slash cracking rackets. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, and 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. You must be 21 years or older, and you must be in a participating state to play, take place in this promo code. And again, that code is dkng.co slash cracking rackets. Go to DraftKings now. Get involved in the action, folks. You don't want to miss out on anything, especially as we begin to see the return of ATP WTA action. Just get your beak wet, right? Start getting your gambling, uh, I suppose, shoes back on. Make sure they still fit. Uh, and just get in on the action by going to dkng.co slash cracking rackets. I also want to give a quick shout out to our friends at Aerobar. Hopefully all of you are listening to our Thursday mini break podcast with our friends at Aerobars. We've had so many uh, great guests. We had Michael Russell, of course, the former top 100 ATP player. We had Jay Berger, one of the most successful coaches, also a phenomenal player himself. Uh, we also had Richard John Menzing of the John McEnroe Academy, and this week, a phenomenal guest as well, former junior French Open champion, former top 100 ATP singles player, uh, Bjorn Fertangelo joined the show this week to talk about the importance of fitness and nutrition, and of course, that's what Aerobar is all about. They want to help supply tennis players across the globe with the right sort of nutrition, the right sort of fuel, uh, to ensure that they can get their best performances on the tennis court, and as a way of saying thank you to our Cracked Rackets fans, as a way of trying to ensure that you are being getting that proper nutrition. Uh, they're offering our fans a promo code. If you go to aerobar.com, you order yourself up a case, and trust me, again, those cinnamon honey aerobars, just so delicious. The chocolate chips are great as well, but I'm a cinnamon honey oat guy. You're going to order yourself yourself up a box. Not only will you have your on-court snack, I use it as breakfast day in, day out, folks. It really is delicious. You use that promo code CRACKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. And folks, I promise you this, you will not regret it. So go to aerobar.com, use that promo code CRACKED15, get yourself uh, using and putting in the right sort of fuel into your body right now. All right, with all that being said, let's get to my conversation and this week's second Great Shot podcast with the one and only our guest today, Ben Rothenberg.
joining us on the podcast today is a returning guest here to the Great Shot Podcast. You may know the work he has done for the New York Times. He, of course, is also the host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast. And a man right now doing his best Ben Stiller, White Goodman impersonation with his facial hair. Ben Rothenberg, welcome back to the show. And as we say here, hey, Great Shot. And when I say that, I am talking about your facial hair. It's phenomenal. Thank you. I I I, I agree. I I mean, not that, that sounds that sounds conceited or arrogant, but you know, it's it's not it's like in terms of tennis, right? It's like I don't know if this ball's landing in or not, but I I swung as hard as I could. I believed, and that's really what counts. It's not whether or not you win or lose. It it's the friends you made along the way, and this mustache is a is a friend that I will uh, take to uh, take with me in my soul forever. The real commitment is the soul patch element of the entire ensemble. It's just well, that that means you're committed to the to the look. See, what it is, it's actually just kind of a it's kind, I'm kind of playing a prevent defense here with my face. You want to get really analytical because like these two the parts that I have the 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 mustache and the soul patch are the parts that grow much faster on my face and everything else. Okay. So like this would these if I like didn't shave for I don't know four days it would kind of like look more like this this would be the heavier uh, pop in terms of population density those would come in fastest so i'm sort of letting those go i'm conceding defeat if you will um and on those two fronts and just sort of going to fight it out in the in the other trenches elsewhere yeah no uh, there's so, nothing wrong with that yeah. it, I, I'm, I'm fine with it it's uh Takes it low. It's good to have give people something to look at on, on the on the you know, Zoom press conference calls we're going to be having apparently for the rest of our lives. Uh, George, uh, George Belshaw has like bleached his hair. It's like Jedward. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Uh, so so that's you know everyone has their own options. If you're not you know a lot of people come out or were like oh I'm going to go in quarantine I'm going to like learn how to speak Mandarin or something. Well I didn't do that, but I I did you know get a mustache. So I, I, that's a win for me. Yeah, no, that's a win. And again, if the quarantine, uh, if the Zoom, I should say, press conferences is the way of the future, I would say you killed it. I mean, hopefully everyone's going to start getting nicknames in the tennis community, right? What was it? It was Monty, or it was Monty for Tumani earlier today. Oh, my God. Monty Monty is what we're going to go with. Monty Carroll. (laughs) Because I think think Whitmire called him Tumani Carroll, and then Stacey Allister called him Monty. Uh, yikes i mean tumani's been around a long time it's not a new person so uh yeah that was not great but uh it was funny <laughs> and yeah, i texted him i texted him immediately uh and i think i almost made two i almost made monty it's his name now he just when when someone gets your name that wrong it just becomes your name it's unfortunate but it's it's the rule so yeah please welcome monty. Mon- like, like we, have, we have that with uh i don't know if people ever picked up on this on twitter but jamie hampton recent retiree jamie hampton uh, we call her Julie Hamilton because someone called her that once and she <laughs> thought it was ridiculous. And so we just now refer to her as Julie Hamilton. So that's just her name. So yeah. same thing with Monty Carroll. Yeah, they might start calling you White Goodman, and hopefully they do, because that would be delightful, I think, for tennis fans everywhere if you continue to rock the stash. And, yeah, I I think what we're learning right now with all of the fun with the exhibition series, just uh, tennis fans are enjoying having some fun during this quarantine period. We're exploring our creative sides and see all the player TikToks as well. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's a a a 45-week-a-year sport. This is the first time for maybe all of these tennis players. They've had three consecutive months 
pants off, probably since they were eight, nine, ten years old. Um, and so, you know, whether it's Monte Cario, whether it's another uh, TikTok from, I don't know, you name X player, uh, it, it's fun right now. There was a – the funness to me, the thing that most manifests that in relatively recently we're talking about is the Mortaglu XO, these videos they're making for their players. And they gave them each of these nicknames. The Dustin Brown video has one line in it that blew my mind. Did you see the Dustin Brown video? Him, like, I, I've, himself I've up? seen all of them, but I don't have them all memorized yet. Okay, well, the Dustin Brown one had one line. Maybe they didn't catch it, but I was, as a writer, I was staggered. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who came up with this, if he came up with it himself, or if it was if it was someone in English second language, I'd bow down to them forever, because it was incredible work. But it was basically saying, like, it was like, um, Dustin Brown saying, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but here's the basic gist. It was like, I'm not yet a movie star, but I am DB. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That was, it was such, such tight wordplay there. An IMDB pun from DB. I was, I was, I was shook. I was, I was really impressed. And so, will that get people to watch tennis? I don't know. But that, that was, that was really, you know, the, the sort of like, the dad joke level that they're going for there or whatever they want to call it, you know, with, you know, it's about being the Greek God and Benoit pair being the, whatever he is. I don't know what he is. Um, but it's just like, yeah, there's this, there's this sort of earnest, silly campiness to it that I find very much endearing in, in my speed and my sport that so often takes itself so seriously. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm I, into I, that. I, yeah, I was doing a podcast with our mutual friend Gil Gross, and uh, you know mm-hmm. he starts referring to Alexi Popperin. And I was like, "Oh, you mean the sniper?" And I was like, "How am I not going to call him the sniper for the rest of his life? Like, how am I not going to look at the Greek god, or how am I not going to look at Mer- Matteo Berrettini, who aptly called the hammer?" I was looking around. I was like, mm-hmm. "I think the joke I made was, oh, I bet his name's like Thor or something like that." And then it was literally the hammer. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that own the corniness right and they have and it's in a fun way um and i've really enjoyed uts and i do want to talk to you about that at the end as well um but i think the place we have to start because of course we're off track and that's part of the fun of having you back on the show and i will say i cut this line from the intro but we almost had to not have you today because you've gone hollywood on us but you know uh we figured uh yeah you made a compelling case so i've gone hollywood by doing my own podcast was your assessment (laughs) earlier today we were discussing which you know fair enough yeah fair look enough. <laughs> what am i gonna get out of you that courtney won't that's really what i'm saying it's it's what am i gonna get out of courtney she's never on my show anymore i mean but she's <laughs> she she uh yeah she won't she's not on this week uh on either of our shows this week but uh courtney's elusive courtney so i know you tried to get courtney right you tried yeah still no response i'm not gonna lie how'd that go yep no not get, don't get your hopes up she's tough yeah. honestly she doesn't even yeah, come on look, her own show so uh yeah like i said you. i'm holding yeah, I'm holding out. I'm holding out. I'm not worried for now. I think it, 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 the interview will come. But anyways, you're trying to rattle me so that I get off my game. I have the tough questions. I'm not. You. I want you. I want you on your game. I'm ready for ready for you to play your best here. 
All right. Well, I appreciate that. that. And again, yeah, no, I've certainly gotten plenty of competitive reps in the podcast realm during this time period. So my game is fresh. And by the way, uh, we talk about the fun. Actually, I I am curious for your opinion on this because I haven't talked about it too much on the podcast, uh, at least certainly with not a fellow member of the tennis media, if you'll indulge me with that title. Um, But to see so many players, particularly so many young players, Ben, and we talk about the fun that's going on right now on tour, but certainly over the past few weeks following the tragic killing of George Floyd. We've seen so many tennis players use their platform to speak out against this injustice mm-hmm. too, you know, and it's so many young players as well, in particular, uh, the two who stand out, of course, and this is not to discount the countless other tennis players who have used their platform to speak out, but certainly Naomi Osaka, uh, Coco Goff, being that they are both, uh, you know, young players as well, young successful players using their platform for this moment in particular. Uh, what have you thought about that what have you heard you know the general sentiment around you know tennis right now around these players using their platform to organize in this sort of way you know it's been different it's, it's been interesting and it's uh obviously those two players have really sh- uh, stood out as being the most outspoken naomi i think also is a lot of power in her doing it after being previously someone i think a lot of people thought of as being pretty quiet and also for her to be having this outspoken streak or this pretty defiantly outspoken streak, especially because a lot of she's got a lot of criticism for it in Japan, um, in particular, to do it right on the heels of being named the highest paid female athlete in the world. I mean, she's really somebody who is using her platform and not just sort of hiding behind endorsements and stuff. And I think that's really the shift that I've I've noticed. Uh, it's been interesting in the past uh, couple, in this, in this in this last month or so, when all this stuff has been flaring up. That, and I think Chris Clary might have said it on Tennis Channel. I think he put it well. He was saying, like, these the way these athletes are doing it, it's almost, you know, seen as more strange now if you don't say something than if you do. Like, I think the balance has almost shifted that much to where everybody, pretty much everybody seems to be speaking out uh, and, and getting a lot of things right. Yeah, and, and so Osaka being as outspoken as she has been and as pointed and I think strident and as, as cutting as she has been, I think it's, it's pretty remarkable from her. And people who know... Osaka know that she is a, as she would probably say, you know, a low key savage in a lot of ways, but she, <laughs> but she's been showing that more publicly a lot, uh, in this time. I think it's really cool. And then, and then Coco Goff. Yeah. Coco Goff is somebody who even before she's, you know, started winning Grand Slam quality matches last year, at Roehampton, she was already, you know, putting up lots of tweets and stories about black history month and things like that. She's already been very socially aware. And hopefully that reflects a lot of her generation uh who will you know hopefully get to be president soon and and because we've had so many people who are just from older generations and so it's it's cool there's energy and and uh things like that in the uh, younger generation and it's cool to see and also a shout out one person hasn't gotten i think that much attention for but who's been really consistently very uh i think uh on this has been and it's just not young but sloan i think it's also done mm-hmm. a, a pretty consistently tremendous job of speaking out and and being a, a great uh voice for this uh, cause and for her for her generation as well Mm -hmm. and i do think it's worth mentioning for both of us and you know i believe you're jewish ben right I am not. I you are not that. Jewish. But that's why. That's what I didn't I, want to I, say. That's why for I, I years I feel like I've that. asked you. You are not Jewish. Well, either way, well, you know. Uh, go I ahead. Feel bad that, I feel bad that you got that out of me, but like, no. I mean, I get all the anti-Semitism on Twitter without any of the warm sense of community. Um, oh. But I no, I I'm not. I'm not. Te- my I am. I think a quarter Jewish. Yeah. So my uh, my dad's dad was Jewish. 
that, the reason I ask is because I've seen some of those comments, and I, I mean, as always, oh, something yeah. that educated comes from a place of lack of knowledge, and so that shouldn't surprise you at all. But you know, the point being, neither. And by the way, you are always. I will consider you mishpacha, uh, much like I consider Steve Weissman mishpacha. That is Yiddish for family. Oh. Um, so well, of hi. course, uh, yeah, exactly, perfect. But the point being, you know, neither of us are people of color, right? We both lived pretty comfortable lives. We both went to the University of Michigan, where if you're going to be named Ben Rothenberg or Alex Gruskin, you're going to have a pretty easy life uh, because it's going to be easy to find people who are similar to you. Um, and I think for both of us, especially, you know, being uh, 24, seeing someone, for me in particular, seeing young athletes like Naomi Osaka, like Coco Goff, people of color, use their platform uh, to uh, fight for the causes they believe in. It's so admirable. And as you mentioned, you know, there was no expectation on either of them to do that, and yet it just seemed secondhand. It just seemed like there was no there was no wavering. There was no doubt. Uh, they felt, you know, uh, and they needed to uh, use their platform to try and uh, promote, uh, you know, good out of this to try and create something in this moment and you know compared to an organization like the nba where when something like this happens you see just on an organizational front it's team by team uh does in their own way something to honor the moment tennis isn't like that because everyone's their own individual athlete their own individual contractor very rarely is it a cohort of tennis players together standing up for something they believe in and now of course there have been instances littered throughout tennis history of moments when tennis players have banded together and when individual athletes have stood up and so often you think of people like Arthur Ashe and Billie Jean King and you know Martina Navratilova of course Venus and Serena and the list can go on and on and on I suppose with tennis seemingly coming back it sounds like there's going to be you know I mean City Open Cincinnati the US Open on and on and on and on there are schedules that are planning on going would it surprise you if tennis players find a way, you know, if they band together to use this moment when on their professional stages to, you know, promote some some sort of cause, whether it be, you know, social justice and equality in yeah. the aftermath of George Floyd's killing? Is that something you would uh, you expect to see happen? I think I do expect to see that happen. And I, we already saw it, actually, to mention the Mortoglu League again. They had they walk, walked out on court for those matches wearing Black Lives Matter shirts, which was, and the coaches wore them during the matches too, and the players walked out wearing them, which was striking to me considering I don't think there's any Americans involved in that event. And so to see mm-hmm. that kind of uh, solidarity, I guess you could say, or, or support uh, from, I think, mostly all European people, I'm, I'm not off the top of my head, I think they're all European mostly, uh, it was something that was striking to me and interesting. And yeah, so I do think at the US Open with a lot of American players, you will see gestures, whether it's taking a knee or, or wearing a black lives matter thing or you know whatever other symbolism people want to choose i do expect that and we've seen you, you your point is taken about billy jean and arthur obviously having this legacy and tennis has had this legacy but i will say in my time covering the sport the last eight nine years or so being on tour there has not been much honestly mm-hmm. on tour on this front tennis has been pretty uniquely among sports or among well yeah uniquely at least tennis has been strikingly lacking this i think uh for for a sport that has especially women's tennis i would say which has very political origins i think the players right now have not been very outspoken they have not been very you know behind real causes per se whether it's gender equality they're not the most outspoken on that the most striking to me is the market court stuff like market court was this massive opportunity for players on both tours to sort of stand against homophobia transphobia 
etc racism whatever else she can be i think credibly accused of and you you could just see very there were no players did that the players who stood up against that were you know in their 60s in navratilova and, and john McEnroe, who, who were the ones who actually came out against uh, margaret court so i was disappointed by that for sure and the lack of uh lack of any sort of awareness or activism they are, always when i do this i have to give a shout out to laura robson who back in 2012 wore a uh, a rainbow headband and sort of solidarity when she was playing on margaret court arena but that was it in the you know nine years or so since margaret court's homophobia has re-flared up and re-clarified so i i don't give i don't give tennis players honestly previous to this core time very very high <laughs> marks on this quarantine time very especially high marks honestly on this stuff i mean some obviously some are doing some and there's no requirements for it per se but i do feel like uh certainly a lot of the older generation when it, especially when it comes to market court stuff has been very disappointed in them your 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 martinez your billy jeans they have not been impressed or they've been disappointed i think it's fair to say uh with this younger generation and their silence uh and, I, and this is why andy murray gets talked about so much for this because andy murray is again seen as sort of one of the people who will speak out and you know say positive things about women and things like that. And there's Nicole Gibbs, who I think has gotten a lot of praise for being outspoken too. But really, but Nicole Gibbs has for the most part not been a top under player, and Andy's been off tour a lot lately, and it's been and it's been a void. So I'm hoping that when players come back, they don't just see this activism as something that happened for two weeks in you know May and June or whenever this has happened in 2020. I hope that they use this as a lens to grow from and to see it around them in sports too because there's certainly plenty of real sociological, political issues and injustices in the world of tennis out there uh, that players can turn the heat up on. And that's what I want people to see. I want people to sort of learn the tools that they're getting in this moment and learn how to apply them to their own to their own worlds to sort of think globally and act locally, because certainly tennis could use a lot of this energy. So I hope that, I think Sloan has a possibility to do a lot of this. I'm kind of rambling here, but I think Sloan is, as a, I think very active member of the player council from all I can hear. I think she's sort of, there's not a president on the player council for the women, but if there was, I think it would be Sloan based on her energy. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that she can, uh, she maybe can emerge as a leader or somebody just to get the players a bit more engaged on tour. And they, hopefully yeah. they, hopefully in this, in this core time, they've sort of, they've found themselves and found their voices in a way that can last. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say, and you know, it, whether they should or not is a decision up to each individual player. Whether you want to use your platform to promote whatever sort of cause it may be, whether it be you know one that is more popular than other, whatever your brand of activism is, you as a tennis player have the right to use your platform however you deem fit. And that means you know sometimes Novak Djokovic will go out and promote you know these mystic quests and you know this spiritualism, and whether there's validity to that or not. I, you know, personally, do I think there's any validity? Absolutely not. And if you're believing in that stuff, that's your prerogative. Um, but tennis players, while they don't have an obligation to do that, I think they will find rather than, you know, if it's out of a fear of turning off some sort of fans or fans don't want to hear that sort of thinking from you. Uh, I think history teaches us that is not the case. I think some of the most glorified figures in tennis's past, as we have mentioned, have used their platform to do so much good beyond the tennis community, beyond just within the game, but to the broader uh, community for broader social justice causes, for broader, whether it be LGBTQ rights, 
rights or whether it be, you know, uh, again, Arthur Ashe and Serena Williams and Venus Williams mm-hmm. and all they have done for equality within the sport uh, based on your race, based on whatever country you are from. Uh, it is so encouraging to see that players of this next generation are using their platforms. You know, Stefano Tsitsipas uses his platforms for all sorts of things, but you could be guaranteed that he was going to use this moment to speak out, to try and use his platform to promote causes of, of social justice and equality that I think all of us can agree, we can believe in, we can rally behind. And so, yes, while they don't have an obligation to do it, it is very encouraging. You know, I don't think, while Federer and his, you know, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, their philanthropic efforts in terms of dollars given, as admirable as I think any, you know, athlete out there. Of course, if you look at their charitable contributions, they are fulfilling that obligation. But are their social, co- you know, are they outspoken uh, defenders of social causes or social justice or activism in any sort of way? I would say no, they are not. I don't think that's going to be the case with this next generation of players. Yeah, I think certainly Osaka is, and, and Goff are showing that and Tiafo, I don't know if he's going to be a leading player in his generation or not. Time will tell on that. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it's been it's been heartening to see this, this uh, awareness and like I said, I just hope it hope it can last. And I hope that players stay engaged. And I hope there's also been a shift too from the agents. And I think the agents have been massive uh, obstacles to this. I think agents in tennis are incredibly uncreative, incredibly risk averse, incredibly timid. And so they're telling players not to say anything about politics, not to do this, not to do that. You know, very, you know, classic people ascribe to Jordan about, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too. I think that's a big tennis agent mindset and so hopefully seeing the uh praise and plaudits that people like golf like osaka can have gotten at least it seems like and i don't know if this will hurt either that their careers especially osaka's earnings i don't know if japanese sponsors will shrink from her or not after this i generally don't know um i hope not but uh yeah i think hopefully this will embolden people to say hey you know what authenticity is always gonna be your best brand don't be such a robot out there or i'm not gonna make you be a robot not gonna make you play it safe and uh be yourself i think because i think honesty is honestly you know what we're looking for in tennis which sounds really contrived and obnoxious but like i think people love the self-expression in tennis and how it reveals character and personality and things like that so i think honesty about these sorts of issues uh are part of that too and you know people aren't all people aren't always going to like it obviously plenty of people did not like things that like john isner was tweeting or liking during this uh this time and that's fine like that's that's i have no problem with him tweeting those things and no problem people disliking them i i think you know sure put it out there people i think honesty is a best policy life is life is too short we're all indoors far too much to be spending time worrying about pe- what people think yeah no i Hence think that's mustache. a perfect yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Um, well, you know, speaking of people being pent up inside and, you know, ready to see action, I think we can all be excited as tennis fans to say, to know that our top players, our favorite ATP WTA f- professionals are going to be returning to action, it seems like, uh, in in the month of August. Uh, calendars officially released by the ATP and the WTA, and even more importantly, as we have said from the get-go, if there were ever going to be events played this year, given the revenue opportunities presented for all involved in tennis, it was going to be the Grand Slams, and that's what we've been heard, hearing about. Those are the big stories right now. Maybe the biggest story in tennis is probably what's going on at the U.S. 
U.S. Open, and there was a press conference today where details were really further elaborated on, questions were finally answered. Um, but it, it sounds like, as of right now, and a lot can change between now and August, and you look at some statistics and you think, is a second wave beginning? You look at some statistics and think, did we actually ever leave the first wave? You look at some statistics and you think, oh, maybe this right. thing finally is over. You can find whatever argument you're looking for, it's out there for you. But as of right now, and again, I'm not yeah. commenting on the validity of any of them, but as of right now, uh, the U.S. Open is going to be played. And there are a lot of follow-up details, you know, questions I want to ask you about. But let's just start with that fact. The U.S. Open, all systems go. In the end, does it surprise you that this is the outcome, Ben? I'm a little surprised. Uh, I was pessimistic. I will say we're not there yet. Like, mm-hmm. there's still 10 weeks or so to go before the U.S. Open. So what they're saying is currently it's a go. You know, things can change for better or for worse in the next 10 weeks to make it where it doesn't wind up happening. They might they might still cancel it later. I mean, Indian Wells is going to cancel, what, like 12 hours before qualifying was going to start, roughly? So, you know, we're going for now. U.S. Open is going for now. And it has blessing and approval from Cuomo and from the federations and from tours for now but things can still deteriorate so i'm going to put that sort of caveat out there first right mm-hmm. but it's it i i have been as someone who i think i think of myself as generally being pretty optimistic as a person in life and so i appreciate the usca also being similarly really optimistic in a lot of ways and being like okay this is a long shot but how can we pull this off how can we work hard to create something totally new to create this bubble to create this you know uh entourage rules and things like that and you know get rid of qualies and to shrink doubles and do whatever we have to do get rid of juniors get rid of wheelchairs it's a little rough um to to make it so we can have this uh this tournament and so yeah so i i applaud i applaud the endeavoring and the hustle from from the usda for sure on that um and yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten, we haven't heard much from the French Open as well. They're a month, a month later on the calendar as of right now. So I'm curious to see how similar or different that will be. I think it's it's a lot of irony in that the two tournaments going to be back first uh, are going to be this Palermo WTA tournament. It's the first tour level event coming back on August 3rd in Italy. And then the City Open in Washington will be next after that for the ATP on August 10th and probably possibly WTA. It's a little unclear that that. Usually it's a combined event, but they haven't signed off on the WTA side of it yet this year. Um, it's weird that tennis is coming back after Corona, which devastated Italy and the U.S. It's weird that Italy and the U.S. are getting the first swings of this. Like, that's got to be a little strange for, for people who are following this. And and it's going to be still, I think it's I think it's going to be tough selling players on New York being a safe place to come and play tennis. I think that's not going to be easy. Uh, people watching the news, seeing how New York has been hit so hard. There's way more deaths in Europe than in many countries, uh, so you know, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or what your question even was at this point. But I think this is is a is a is a positive first step towards maybe getting somewhere. But there's still a long way to go. Is basically what I'm saying. It's uh, this is it's still we think of how different our lives were uh, three months ago, and now we're going looking trying to say three months into the future with any certainty. I, I think it's tough. Yeah. 
No, I, that's a good summary. And, uh, you know, you did present yeah. some more questions as well, all topics we were going to get to. So I'm glad you're leading us there like a true professional. That's why you've gone Hollywood. That's why they ask you to do six I'm podcasts. Jumping around. I'm, two, I'm really screwing up your two outlines. Two round tables doing, so. and, you know, yeah. six different appearances. Oh, uh, you want me on News Radio 1250 AM in Concord, New Hampshire? I would love to. Um, and so, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, no, I'm just, yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but, you know, to to your point, any you know, any to, state capital, I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. But to sort of get back to the beginning of the conversation, you talk about what's changed in the past three months. Uh, there's been no tennis. You know, the original date was June 12th or whatever it was. That got pushed back. Then it was July, or maybe it was June 1st. Then it was July 12th. That got pushed back. Now it got to a point where okay, if we push back beyond this point at this time, it's time to scrap the season because with with only one Grand Slam, with only and this is being generous, let's say they were able to play 10 tournaments in total over the course of October and November. And again, that's being generous. You're going to play a World Tour Finals on a year with one Grand Slam and maybe 15 other non-really Masters level events. Like at that point, what are you doing with the season? And so I, I don't think that was ever going to happen. I think the necessity of local governments and national governments around the globe is uh, the idea of playing events full-fledged with fans, although I suppose the Adria Tour suggested that may not be the case. And maybe we're just going to see all these events in Serbia because looks like things are totally back to normal there. Um, but, you know, th- this idea that financially it only really makes sense for the Grand Slams to make their return. And I think that's the financial reality of it all. I think even before we get into why some players don't like the current circumstances of this U.S. Open, the opportunity to make, and these are the numbers you keep reading, uh, if it's a third of last year's revenue, about $150 million in one swing of the racket, pun intended, uh, you know, over a two-week course event, over you play, and you know, the decision to play Cincinnati the week before is, instead of qualities is a separate part of this equation. Uh, But I think it was a no-brainer for the USTA, for the ATP and WTA, for all the organizational entities involved in the decision because there's just too much money on the table. And simply put, and I've made this point already this week, and I apologize for repeating myself, uh, but I'm curious on your thoughts. If you like tennis, if you want it to continue to exist as an organization, as a structure, as a global entity, it needs to make revenue in 2020. And simply put, the U.S. Open, the French Open, are the ways for it to make the biggest bang for its buck by playing an event, by all these players agreeing to put themselves at risk to come to one location. Now, you're right. The New York part of the equation, that's an issue. And you know, I do want to ask you, do you think players may skip one portion of the year or the other? But ultimately— this is out of financial necessity above all else, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything I've heard from people. Oh, geez, sorry. I don't mean to be yawning. No, whenever uh, whenever we start really talking finances, I have, conferences. I have I have yeah. I I well no, but I am out of I'm out of practice within the whole press conference thing. Like I am rusty. <laughs> I am out of whatever my equivalent of playing shape is as a reporter. I'm not in it. So today's been going uh, I hate to even say this, but like it's been a five setter for me, so it, it's been ugly. But uh, yeah, the the tours need tournaments. Like they they, it's a big for the ATP WTA. It's a big difference to get tournaments played or not. Like there's a lot, even if they can salvage any part of the season, that's really important for their bottom lines for being able to keep their staffs employed. I mean, USTA 
uh, right before you know this, yeah. right before they were announcing these things, I think laid off 150 staff and announced they're closing Tennis their Canada. Uh, White Plains, New York offices, which is sort of their headquarters. Yeah, Tennis Canada, also other federations as well. ITF, I know, has been laying off people, so or at least furloughing people. So you know, I think players need to be aware of that. That like, hey, this is a business, and there's a lot of jobs that depend on getting the sport back up and running. And so that's I think what a lot of people within tennis really balked at that. Marin Cilic thing that he was quoted as saying on the conference call that he was saying that hey players should get paid more than usual because they have to stay in a hotel and not get to go out like that came off as very tone deaf to people uh, who are who have had colleagues losing their jobs in this time and who understand the realities of this and to hear players who are already made millions on the sport being like we need more money just does not ring uh, right and so there are gonna be there are gonna be prize money cuts it seems like for for tournaments I don't know how much has been talked about but like tour events that do come back this year i think we'll all have less prize money because there's been no fans and i think players hopefully will understand the financial realities of that and yeah we'll understand that they need to be able to sort of take some for the team here and to play for a little bit less so in order to keep tennis on its feet so it doesn't implode further so there is still a sport on the other side when we come out uh at the light of the end of the tunnel on this pandemic which we will eventually so Mm -hmm. it could be a while so, you know, I think that, I think the players, but at the same time, players also, if they don't, we can get to this. I feel like I'm jumping all over the place in terms of keeping your, your show organized here, but if players don't want to play, that's also their prerogative, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, but it, it's, uh, it, it does mean a lot to these tournaments to get to get played. And a lot of them will be still losing some money this year. And it's very possible also that some tournaments won't come back. Like it wasn't talked about much today, but guess what's not on the calendar anymore? San Jose, not there. Mm-hmm. Used to be the same week as Washington. SWTA uh, was not an impressive event, honestly, in its two years. It could have probably folded under non-pandemic circumstances already, um, but it dropped off the calendar now and, and does not. And I would not be surprised if that tournament does not come back. So so this is really going to be tightening the screws a lot on a lot of tournaments, this uh, the situation. And so rooting for all of them to be able to come out on the other side. And even for goofy things like Palermo being first, like why not? You know, to have, you know, whatever tournament can show up in the fall – sort of fall Europe clay swing. It's it's a little goofy, it's a little weird, but hey, any any tournaments that can make it work, I'm I'm happy for. Yeah. No, I mean look, I first of all to address your point about scrambling the show's outline, I have about eleven tweets open on my internet browser and I'm just thinking I'll cover the course of these eleven to- you know, these are eleven points I plan on making and over Tweet? the course of these eleven points we'll find an hour long conversation. Tweets? What do you mean by tweets? You use tweets as your outline? How does that work? Well, I'm just saying they're all separate points, good tweets I wanted to bring up, and I'm just like, okay, that's how I get to your topic. And then oh, from various the people. Okay, point. sure. Yeah, exactly. And then you know the okay. rest of the points I make come off of this brain power, Ben. You got to see me on video today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have a couple of points to uh, – you know, a couple of things I want to say to your response. As I got to say earlier, I get the – privilege of seeing you on video during this conversation so if you have a comment to make off of a point i said please you know at any point just raise your hand so i have a little visual because i'm about to get on my soapbox i'm sure um but you know just a couple uh, do you have another comment no i'm comment just, about I'm just my saying soapbox? climb away on the soapbox get on there <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, perfect. So, you know, the first soapbox, and this is just, I opened up one of the tabs, and I can't believe I forgot to mention this in that early little UTS scramble. Richard Gasquet's nickname, The Virtuoso. Like, hearing Steve Weissman say <laughs> The Virtuoso just end on end on end on Tennis Channel was the highlight of my Tuesday. It was delightful. And so I just want to say, if like, if that's the sort of thing we get, like, oh, The Virtuoso. Like, I'm all in on that. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's point one on the soapbox, and that's a random one. To get back to this U.S. Open decision and, you know, to sort of round off the argument on the financials and, you know— Nowadays, I'm at, at the privileged place where I can finally talk to people who are within the sport. And not, you know, I don't get to talk to tournament directors yet. Some here and there that are challenger and futures directors may respond my call or text if I beg them enough. But certainly coaches, players now, I get the chance to talk to. And you hear two different sides of the argument. You know, one guy who said this on the record, so it'll be in an interview we release, I think, on the mini break on Thursday. We're recording this Wednesday night with Bjorn Fertangelo. He looks at it from your perspective the fact that money you know for players to make money tournaments have to be played and for the players who you know aren't get or are excluded from this u.s open who would have otherwise been participating in qualities may have had an opportunity to use this u.s open one of those few moments on the tennis calendar and leverage it for a breakthrough further in their career you know they're not going to have that chance now there are condensed draws and we can talk about that in a second as well and i promise we'll get there eventually folks uh, but there are players who are on that side of the equation who say you know yeah it sucks. It's unfair. That's entirely true. But these are, you know, extreme circumstances. These are, God willing, once-in-a-lifetime circumstances. And for us as players to even get a $10,000 check out of this occasion, even though we're not going to be playing the event, that's a net win. I had another player who off the record said, look, like, if you don't want this to happen, you don't like money. Uh, and that's a very blunt quote, but there's a lot of truth to it. It's like, hey, we've been talking about player relief. We've been talking about all of these you know, uh, compensation funds to help players and organizations and all of these different uh, places impacted by this pandemic uh, through these times, if you want USTA grants to be available, if you want grassroots programs to be funded, if you want these embattled programs and clubs throughout the country to have a place that they can turn to, a national governing body, and I know I'm very American-centric because I happen to be in the United States, but across the globe— yeah, then you want these events to happen. <clears throat> you know, it's the USTA that puts up all of those dollars for all those grants. And yeah, there are some private funds as well, of course, but it's the US USTA who facilitates those donations. It's the USTA who is the central body for tennis in the country. And they benefit, you know, <clears throat> it's $150 million indirectly, whatever, uh, for for making this uh, approximately $150 million if they play this event in revenue. That is more than nothing. That is a significant sum of money. Um, I did hear from a couple of players that the Chilich comments were a bit overblown, but I will say 95% compensation. Like Marin Chilich, that's a freaking win. And by the way, John Wertheim made this point on Twitter today. This is one of the tweets I have posted in my outline. If the U.S. Open is able to pay 95% uh, of the pay to the players in these circumstances, what are they able to do during normal times? What are we missing here? Should there be a bigger piece of the pie on the table for the players? But let's save that conversation for three years from now when a vaccination exists. But the, the point being is, you know, so there's that line of argument, and then there is the Mitchell Kruger line of argument. 
document, and you know Mitchell was kind enough to come on, or to for allow to allow me to release this text publicly on Twitter, and I thank him for that because it's gotten a lot of responses and reception. Um, and it's this idea that if you're a player ranked outside the top 100, the Grand Slams are one of like you know you include the Masters in there where some of them sometimes get chances. You know, really one of 13 events where you can make a name for yourself because you're not making the year end finals. And I love the challengers. You love the challengers. You'll you'll watch Yannick Sinner if he's rising the ranks. But Hell most yeah. players, yeah, they become introduced to Yannick Sinner at the Grand Slams. And the Yannick Sinners of the world right now, or the Mitchell Krugers of the world, or even you know, uh, not Pablo. Maybe it is Pablo Cuevas. I don't remember who played the the five setter versus the Spider Man last year in the first round. Um, but guys like that, you know, they want this opportunity, and they might not get it this year. And so both lines of argument do resonate with me. And I think it's really important as a tennis community that we acknowledge that both players, you know, have valid points. And and to a larger point about players that you were mentioning, it's ultimately an individual decision whether you want to put yourself at risk. And I didn't make this point when I spoke with Gil earlier. I want to make this point now. It's also up to you because even though the athletes are in the group, uh, the part of the population that are less susceptible to the worst effects of this COVID-19, if they become asymptomatic carriers, it's their family members. It's their parents. Mm-hmm. It's their young kids who then become, you know, potential, uh, potentially inflicted by this virus, and they are not in that safe of a population group. They're the people who may fear it more, feel it more severely. And so ultimately, it's an individual decision, but for the long-term health of tennis, and you haven't raised your hand, so I'm going to assume that I can stay on my soapbox for these last few sentences, uh, for the long-term health of tennis, and you're right, we're still 10 weeks away, playing the U.S. Open is a net win for the game and for the USTA to be able to facilitate this under any circ- under these circumstances, uh, big win for them as an organization. Yeah, uh, Zachary Sveda, uh played Pablo Lorenzi. We'll start with that. Lorenzi, uh, that's who it was. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, wild match. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that. You know, I think players who kind of get too caught up in themselves in this time and seeing hey uh and i will say i do not hold this i'm not referring here to dylan alcott who i saw came out swinging against uh i don't know if you, you see the dylan alcott tweets the wheelchair I, tennis yes of course yes yeah. wheelchair, wheelchair number one great guy mm-hmm. i've profiled him before really been a great guy to grow in the wheelchair sport so he's mad that usta is not holding the wheelchair competition uh and i think that's totally valid uh i have less sympathy markedly uh, when it comes to qualifying into doubles, honestly. Um, I, I think, you know, we're kind of learning in this moment what we should have known, what those players should have known before, like where you are in the pecking order. And it's and it's rough. It, it's going to be a harsh time to get exposed to that. Um, and I'm learning this, you know, too, as a freelancer, honestly, at the times. Like, I'm not getting as much work as staffers now, and obviously budgets are smaller, and there's less fewer things to cover in sports now, so I'm getting a lot less work than I would have obviously had their tennis going on or had the you know economy been better or things like this uh but that's that's sort of my place in the order and it's not great but that's sort of how capitalism works and gosh it's a u.s open a capitalist event with all its money and it's everything it does and so you know players can sort of whine and complain and say oh i wish there was more focus on qualities and qualities is the backbone of the sport but you know push came to shove and they shoved qualities off you know they said qualities we don't really need you you're more trouble than you're worth. We want to keep numbers down and we're going to get rid of qualities. And so 
that can either be a wake up call to be like, hey, you know, I want to, you know, work harder and get to be in a position where I'm more financially secure, where I'm a player who's actually uh, making money for the sport and being a productive member of tennis. Or you can say, hey, uh, maybe I should quit and go find another job. If, if, if this affects you that strongly either way. Um, or you can just say, hey, you know, maybe it'll get better and I'll just sort of hang in here and, and ride this out and see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I, that, that's just sort of addressing at least the Mitchell Kruger part of it, I think, for me. Um, I'm not sure. You've made a bunch of different points. I'm not sure if there's any order. Otherwise, anything particularly <laughs> no, you want me to respond to? No, I'm happy to. But, outlines uh, out the window. The, Mitch, the, Mitchell, the yeah. Mitchell Kruger stuff is stuff I have the clearest answer to or clearest reaction to. And this goes to Gabby Dabrowski as well, who I think wrote a, like a nine-point letter about this. You know, yes, like in an ideal world, everyone would be helped more. But like, we're trying to scrap this together. We're not even sure if we can get top players here, and mm-hmm. it's it's is a this is a rough go trying to make a tournament where they're trying to limit. Originally, I hope they do keep this uh, limited entourage rule because I kind of love it. Or do something at least where like you start with one person entourage, you can like earn an extra entourage member like every two rounds or something i'd be fine with that because that would keep the numbers down or overall. what if you get to steal the entourage members of the players you beat so you have the option you're like i can keep your coach in my box or i can pass oh that's interesting yeah it's kind of like pogs or something yeah, yeah yeah i'm okay with that that could be interesting yeah, that way sure. you keep it in house it's like no one new is added to the bubble ah uh, yeah it's, it's not bad yeah or you could have like i do wonder what's gonna happen if like players we're gonna see it's going to be interesting. One of the things we haven't, you know, the player, it's going to be kind of like a post-apocalyptic tournament in some ways. Like players are going to be able to wander the grounds freely the whole time. So I was going to say, let's get into like, this part. Let's yeah. get into this part now in terms of the circumstances of the U.S. Open and in terms of the conditions they're playing it in, because obviously these are extreme circumstances. Now, in terms of the draw, uh, as I mentioned, 128 for the men's and women's singles. It's going to be 120 guaranteed entrance plus eight wild cards. I think it's 32 for the men's and women's doubles, by the way, for Western and Southern, it's 48 qualies, 56 for the singles, 32 for the doubles, um, as you mentioned as well in terms of their trying, I believe, or they the original plan was to try and get people to quarantine within uh, these separate hotels. But I believe today they announced that they were going to give players the option to pursue their own private residences, if that is correct. I don't know if you saw today the NBA uh, announced how they were delegating which teams stay where on the Disney campus and it was phenomenal it was like top seeds are here it was I don't know if this Spongebob episode is after your time but I believe it's season three and let me rephrase that I know it's season three because I was looking at the page today to look up this reference um, so I have it locked in but do you remember the episode with the salty spittoon and then there's weenie hut jr and then there's super weenie hut jr and it's like he's like weenie hut general um, and like that's the hotels it's like the salty spittoon is the top seeds uh. weenie hut jr is the middle tier and then super weenie hut jr are the fringe playoff teams your wizards uh part of the super weenie hut jr not uh, my hotel wizards <laughs> wizards uh, can go stay at that at that hotel from florida project yes but wouldn't that be great if that's how they did it it was like the cool kids your top 16 seed you're at the the marriott well they're already doing this i mean like there's gonna have they're gonna have the suites at the tournament yeah. The suites are sweet. I think that's such a cool perk. People are gonna love that. Like if you're if you're a seed of the U.S. Open, you get an abandoned luxury suite to yourself to move into. And and they had this in the Miami Open already when they were playing the NFL Stadium there. And they had all this extra space, uh, and they would give the seeds 
uh, each their own sort of big suite. And that's so cool to have your own private space with a door and a lock at a tournament, to have your own kind of dressing room and lounge where you can chill with your team. That's so rare to have any form of privacy at a tennis tournament like that. So players are going to love that. Honestly, players are going to never want fans to come back in a lot of ways because like they're going to get <laughs> those suites, everything. They're going to get entire – they're going to open up the food court for the players. Players are going to have full mm-hmm. run of the food court at the USO, which is a pretty sweet food court. I don't know what parts are going to be running and what won't be, but – they're going to be able to go watch those matches. Like, you could easily have, like, I don't know, Pablo Carreño playing out on court five against, mm-hmm. uh, he's probably, bah, for, he's probably playing, like, who, like, Nishioka. And then, like, <laughs> and then Nadal goes out and, like, sits, you know, front row and watches his boy Pablo. And just, no one's bothering him. No one's asking for autographs. He can just be there and just be in the moment with Pablo. And that's going to be wonderful for both of them. And mm-hmm. those are nice. It, it, it could be a really sort of, you know, wonderfully... This is, you know, if it all works, and obviously it's going to be weird because of the masks and the pandemic and people dying and et cetera. But it's going to be, like, in some ways, like a really strange, interesting, romantic, back-to-basics kind of event. Um, I think it could, in its own way, uh, be kind of a lot more pure and a lot more uh, strip away a lot of the, uh, the noise in, in the sport and make it just about guys and gals, you know, taking a bus to hit some balls that just sounds <laughs> nice you know i watched uh yeah. I, I've, I've alluded to this on twitter this this year but i watched this uh this olympics documentary i've been watching a bunch of olympics documentaries uh i watched this one for uh cortina dampet so 1956 winter olympics called white vertigo and like everything is so like rustic and like janky and just looks like nothing like current olympics like it doesn't look professional at all like the bobsled track is basically just like a gutter down the side of an alley not the side of a mountain excuse me and anyway it made me just think like wow we need to make sports like earthy again and so i feel like (laughs) empty us open could be pretty earthy in a way that i that i can get down with yeah no i think this is what our fifth sixth pod together on on all of them including maybe even the um Serena Sharapova one. I think I've mentioned the fact that when you go listen to FAA or Andre Rublev hit the ball, it just sounds different than any other human you'll ever hear or see before play tennis. And to have no fans in the crowd for players and spectators and everyone uh, to be able to hear those noises, I think there's an added benefit to that. And of course, the uznas of the crowds are also delightful. And the occasional "We love you, Roger." Uh, you know, are we going to miss that? Like, yeah, sure. Probably. You know, honestly, no. I'm not going to really miss that at all. Uh, But that's something, sure, that it it might be a little bit weird to adjust to at first. But, yeah, I mean, certainly the U.S. Open is doing all it can to ensure that this event is played safely and to ensure that, again, uh, all requirements are met. Because you can't guarantee things 100%, but to do their best to create a safe environment for all of these players. And you started getting into the COVID protocols. Of course, there will be temperature checks if players are exhibiting symptoms and, you know, testing before beforehand testing during if a player tests positive they will be immediately removed for the tournament and god forbid it's like round of 16 quarterfinals there has to be a withdrawal because someone tests positive that's of course a worst case scenario um that you can't really prepare for but you know you're required to wear masks on the grounds i think it's only the top three courts have line judges and i think maybe they have ball people as well but elsewhere there's none of that ideally on every court people will be handling their own towel now these sorts of things so 
some rules, some would argue, may have should have been implemented before this sort of global pandemic happened. But uh, in terms of the protocols, in terms of all of the requirements being, uh, you, you know, both demanded by the U.S. Open and I suppose agreed to, hopefully by the players agreeing to play these events, uh, I think they nailed it. I think they did all they could, and we're at a place now where it's not un- or it's less insensitive, I suppose, for these tournaments to hoard a supply of tests to use on these players because there are more tests available now than there were when we were having these conversations in March and April. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, what are your thoughts on the safety, the health guidelines? They didn't end up changing to two out of three sets. They, you know, they lessened the amount of, I suppose, players in the bubble. But in terms of the product, we're going to see pretty uncompromised. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, the COVID-19, I suppose, uh, regulations as part of this U.S. Open? The one I loved, honestly, and this goes back to my sort of Cortina Depetso nonsense, <laughs> is I loved the entourage rule. I love that in theory because i do i am at tournaments and i do see that you know someone like a serena or like a novak like a rafa can have like 10 people with them at a tournament and they go and you know in the first round they might play she might play against i don't know let's say serena plays against like gasparian or somebody right who probably has like one coach with her and that's it and that can feel from a sporting perspective like you know a stacked deck and obviously this goes back to capitalism and everything yes life is not fair there's been people with more advantages who will players in this day and age have been great at reinvesting their own careers and building out teams but it's also on the men's side i think led to the stagnation we have at the top where we haven't had a new uh men's slam champion since i believe since fdr died it's been a while and so it, it's you know there's something in the sport just like, something anything that can equalize it i'm into and i feel like this can all these new circumstances and the entourage rules particularly can be a great equalizer for the sport. So I, I really just I like those even from obviously from a from a Corona perspective I think they make a lot of sense for social distancing and making the tournaments less crowded. But also from a competitive angle, I'm very curious and intrigued by those two. I I, would, I think that's a cool thing to do to say hey you know everyone talks about how great it is that players are like have a physio and a, a strength coach and a masseuse and a water purifier or whoever they have on their team these days and and maybe they don't need that maybe they just go out there with maybe because back in honestly back it was i think martina navratilova i remember got a lot of mockery in the uh early 80s maybe late 70s for being one of the first players to travel with a coach they're like oh you need a coach martina that's weird like that was one person it was a coach it sounds so basic now but like there weren't traveling coaches on tour uh in the beginning of the pro sport and uh, people may think the game is better for having coaches now probably yes but at the same time reverting to something older that worked fine before i mean tennis existed just fine before having players be a little more self-sufficient because players often can be real uh self-centered people who think the world <laughs> who have who have a world that revolves around them on tour and uh and yeah so i think making them a little bit more self-sufficient and independent, I think can be a positive thing for themselves, for their own personal growth and also for the sport. Cause it's where it attracts a lot of, uh, a lot of hangers on who we don't need. Mm-hmm. Let me zig here. If Rafael yeah. Nadal shows up with Roger Federer in the box, would <laughs> you know greater than non 0% chance that happens? Uh, no, <laughs> no, because the thing with Rafa. Okay, so here's this yeah. is a complete tangent. But people are like, "Ah, oh, Rafa, Roger, besties, love it, Fidal, yeah. whatever." But like, Roger didn't go to Rafa's wedding. I noticed yeah. that. I noticed yeah. that. I was like, "Okay, you guys think, but like, 
no, yeah, but the reason they would do it would the reason they would do it would be to troll Djokovic, which would it would make a lot of sense. It would to me, it's like I think there's some stuff there that eventually there will be a piece. It'll be the you know we'll co we'll share a byline with it in you know Cracked Rackets 2.0 the remix. Yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the hard under on, Rob, on Roger Federer setting foot at the U.S. Open, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's 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 a cute idea. Yeah, no, that's fair. And, you know, this sort of – I want to get to a rapid-fire series here as we wrap up this conversation. Then I want to okay. ask you just quickly about a couple more things because I promised you we would keep it under an hour. I broke – I'm going to break that promise, Ben. I apologize. Uh, but we will try and keep it home stretch here. Uh, you know, okay. the last aspect of this – and, by the way, I, I said it sort of earlier. There will be lines people on the two main courts, Hawkeye everywhere else. That is fascinating, by the way. Is that mm-hmm. a way of the future? You know, only the majors will have the money to do that sort of thing. But is it going to get to a place where, oh, first of all, you listeners can't see this at home. The hand went up, and that means the well, system works. Yeah, what's the follow-up? Well, I was here? just going to say, my first time I ever wanted to jump in here. But, like, I was going to say, like, also we haven't mentioned, but, like, I won't be there. Like, it's yeah. – Landers won't be there, but media oh, won't be there either. True. And uh, not to make this all about media because I think media sometimes talks about themselves so much. But I feel like today – Media could have done a lot more talking about themselves than they did. People were not really talking about not being on site, but it was a big news revelation was kind of buried in there. USDA did a bad job of communicating this stuff to the writers, uh, could have been much more proactive with it, did not appreciate that. But anyway, the uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting covering a tournament not being on site. That's going to be weird uh, yeah. for everybody. Yeah. And it seems like they're going to hold pretty fast to the zero people on site rule at the US Open. And I assume with the Cincinnati tournament before that, too, but theoretically they could maybe. Uh, so I also assume they're going to expand the media room into more player locker room areas. So you have people even more spread out. I'm guessing they're going to sort of take over our uh, neighborhoods of the of the bowels of the stadium. Uh, I don't know how well you know Ash layout, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just something else to point out. It's going to be different from a personal perspective as well for all the media and how tournaments get written about what kind of interviews happen a lot of zooms are going to happen i guess uh we'll see it's gonna be tough to know what's gonna happen but uh i want to point that out in terms of things that will not be there uh media is uh, is a big one yeah well to that i want to tell you my response and it was my response was also the original name of this podcast uh welcome to the club uh yeah you you got to cover an event at home yeah it's a little bit i have done this i have done this plenty like i this is gonna be getting back to my roots i was a blogger extraordinaire for many years. My first oh, I recall. actually for, I, for, I recall. for the back when you were a wee lad. Back my <laughs> my uh, my first U.S. Open cover for the Times in 2011 was me writing from home off TV, mm-hmm. writing like match reports and like doing like daily previews, like matches to watch, like very granular draw breakdowns uh, for the straight sets blog of the Times. Those were all uh, yeah, those were all done from home. So I will get back in my my groove there do some live blocking but it'll just, be, it'll just be different you know and yeah. uh yeah and but also you it kind of gets to what you were saying with the line judges like if it works with the hawkeye live and players prefer and it's makes monetary sense for tournaments i'm not sure it will but if it does like will we never see line judges again you know what kind of things like will this what what changes that are necessity changes now might stick you know Will they not have media on site ever again? Will every press conference from now on be Zoom? 
Like, I don't see, know. I think that, I think that know. answers. We don't no. know. I think it behooves of these tournaments to have media on site to enjoy the amenities, to write but, about the amenities. I think it where, makes sense to them to try and convince the fan who's reading at home that hey, next year it's worth me buying a ticket to come here because I have heard you know firsthand accounts, and I think there's still something to that, whether it be via a podcast medium, whether it be a blog post, whether it be you writing about the you know the flowers at Wimbledon. These are all things nah. that you can only experience while on site flowers yeah no i i guess so i just think that also like i'm an optimist i i I would like to be optimistic on this too i just i just don't know if tournament's gonna be like you know what the media actually we we hate them you know we're gonna we we have this opening here to get rid of them and we they they whine they complain they want wi-fi that works they want you know air conditioning that's somewhere between 50 degrees and 110 they're so picky you know, like we want hummus, not the salsa in the Cincy press room. That hummus is delicious. Hummus and Cincy press room. Have I had? Oh, that? the hummus and carrots. It's a daily staple. I must have had six cups a day. It's my Cincinnati play is I get the uh, the cookies, yeah, oh, which are great, of course. And a lot of times bananas. And I would have this. I don't know if I had the bananas recently, but I would have the bananas would always get a little bit underripe. So I would get them <laughs> and I would put them in the sort of cabinet drawer above yeah. the desk. And like have like a two day rotation cycle, or eat two day old bananas. Mm-hmm. Sure, where I get to get in get in a rhythm with that. Um, uh-huh. And the pretzel pretzels are good too. The sort of yeah. hard pretzels they have in the uh, I miss Cincy. I'm gonna miss Cincy a yeah. lot. That's like the two tournaments I'm gonna miss. I most of all this during the core absence are Rome and, and Mason, Ohio, two equally uh-huh. equal cultural capitals in my mind. It's just uh, yeah, it's sure. rough. Yeah, no, and you know, to your point again about the media at large. Yes, I, I, I agree with your sentiment. If there are things that tournaments may find that they enjoy, whether and from financial aspects, maybe that they need moving forward, and it will be interesting to see what those ramifications are. Certainly, we will have to see events played in these. And I refuse to use your term, so I'm going to say the full thing: quarantined times. So we will see how. Yeah, we will see how things uh, emerge. The last thing about this U.S. Open, and of course, that was a tangent. Players. Simona Halep, reportedly, maybe she's playing, maybe she's not. Serena Williams, mm-hmm. video during this uh, press conference today, she is in. For obvious reasons, Roger Federer, not in. Novak yeah. Djokovic, Rafael Nadal right now, a little bit iffy. Dominic team doesn't matter if it's an exhibition event in the Galapagos Islands. If it's playing tennis, he is there. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like he will probably be there. You know, it's a mixed bag right now. I guess it's a two-part question for you. A, do you think we will see tennis players skip this? event and be you know i guess what names give me names but you know do you think it will be a certain type of player that it will be that elects to skip this event yeah uh, i do think we'll see some players skip for sure i think players also assuming the french open and the whole european clay swing stays on track for the month of september and october uh players like halep then for that reason makes a lot of sense for her to want to potentially skip and halep also should mention here and she's not decided either way, she says, but leaning towards not playing. She also was somebody who skipped the Rome, uh, Rio Olympics in 2016 out of concerns over the Zika virus, which wound up being a non-issue, I believe, during those Olympics. But there was some concern about some, some certainly, I think, media probably played those concerns up because we just need a, a, a Olympics controversy. Anytime we can get a media love an Olympic controversy. Huh. Uh, so... So, you know, I, I, she wasn't the only player who skipped because of Zika. I think Rory McIlroy might have skipped those Olympics because of Zika also. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a couple other athletes as well. 
but uh but so simona i think is on the more cautious slash skittish slash nervous side of the spectrum so i don't think that her reluctance necessarily foretells of a tidal wave happening here um but we'll see like i said i said the very beginning i think or middle beginning act one of the show at some point (laughs) i do think that like new u.s and new york is gonna be a tough sell for people i think people are gonna gonna say hey look at all the corona there's been there people are pickling in the virus in new york city uh i'm not gonna start back there i don't feel comfortable there and that's totally their prerogative and uh sidebar and i'll hopefully say this more on NCR when I record it next, but it's a whole different topic. This is actually an argument against having a union in tennis. Like getting players to each make their own individual labor decisions um, is a benefit now of having independent contractors as the method. And so I think players will appreciate being able to make their own choices here. So just this is a little food for thought there. No, I mean the steel workers, the uh, mill workers, the auto workers, they just called in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, and they said GM and United United Steel uh, all tried to use those uh, exact tactics of pitching them against one another, and mm-hmm. it's having a lot of success, and so they're trying to unionize. So yeah, but I agree with you. It works both ways. We talked about it at the beginning. Guess what? There is some business, there are some financial necessities to tennis. If you want tennis to exist, events have to be played. For events to be played, players have to be there. So uh, 100% of agree with your point on that and again it will come down to an individual decision we may see players choose to play one portion of the year and not the other and again rapid fire here down the home stretch that sort of gets to the tentative schedule you have another point though well i wanted to say just on the playing one thing we haven't really talked about or haven't anybody talked about is this notion of having cincinnati the week before the u.s open we've never had a masters the week before a grand slam before that's like generally a pretty fallow week in the calendar and so our players going to yeah. want to play Cincinnati, even if it is in New York. That's I don't know what the Cincinnati entry list is going to look like, or people are going to. What about the City Open the week out. before? Well, City Open I think is actually in great shape in a lot of ways. Um, That's what I I'm saying. Everyone could play that. If every everyone should want to play that. Honestly, if I was a player who was like a U.S. Open contender, let's say like a Medvedev, right? Or he's the, he's defending champion in Cincinnati, so he's maybe not a great example, but like uh, it's like a Serena, right? I would want to play City Open and then take the week off and then play U.S. Open and get to New York early in practice. I don't know if I want to play a, a tournament, uh, especially a Masters Premier 5 caliber field tournament uh, the week before a slam. Uh, that that could be exhausting, especially for the guys who play best of five in the, uh, in the, in the slam, which is, as we know, is oppressive, toxic masculinity. It's terrible. So uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, Cincinnati's a little bit, dodgy i i hadn't thought about that that much before but the scheduling especially for players who haven't played much at all they're kind of probably potentially out of match shape uh going going three going a hard week right heading into a grand slam people people don't do that so we'll see how it, we'll see how it turns out yeah no there are a lot of details up in the air and i think it's eight weeks right now have been released for the atp uh pretty full wta schedule right now down the home stretch i believe they have tournaments each and every week uh options available for all of these players to play and that's certainly something to consider and you know that sort of leads me you know and again very tentative schedule things are still subject to change if there's flare-ups in certain regions certain countries travel restrictions are reenacted uh then a lot of this season because it's international based uh it goes 
close out the tubes. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're world team tennis right now, you're sitting pretty uh, and you're praying, please, 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 numbers don't shift in the next two, three weeks because, you know, right now it looks like their season is going to be full systems go. And, you know, there are so many exhibition events right now that are also going on. I talked about the Adria Tour event uh, a little bit. There's also, of course, the UTS, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Uh, you know, again, the calendar-wise, you sort of hit on it there, and it's really hard to say more about this calendar until we actually know for 100% certainty that players are bought in and we are going to see action start in August. But exhibition-wise, UTS, controversy is yeah. the wrong word because it was meant to instigate, and I know on the No Challenges Remaining podcast last Friday, you had the chance to speak with, I think the term is founder, commissioner, whatever term you want to use, Pied Piper of UTS, <laughs> Mr. Patrick Motalu. Uh, you had him whoa, on whoa, the whoa, podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Try that again. That was not close. Say the name again. What is it? Motalu? Mortaglu. <laughs> you just thought oh, that like Mortag- half the letters. Please. Yeah. No, I, I just said it in the beautiful French accent it was meant to be set in. Um, well, you just said like a French person having a stroke, but it, whatever, it's fine. It, you know, whatever, whatever gets well, the name across to you. Look, Benny, you've made, if I was more sensitive, I would say you've created this perception that this show is unorganized, and this show is not unorganized. It no, is it's not flowing. unorganized. No, no, no. Yeah. I, look, you went for it. You, you, you clearly were going to say like, I have this name coming. I'm going to really go for it here. I just think that you, I think that you missed wildly, and I think it's okay to to to, to go for it and to not always connect. Uh, but yes, Patrick, Rick. Let's keep it simple. Rick. Commissioner yeah. Okay, Rick. Well, yeah. well, you had Commissioner Rick on your podcast to speak about the event. And that is not to say you are biased. That is just to say you have spoken to him. But I'm curious your thoughts on you know, UTS's place in the tennis lexicon's the wrong word, but in the tennis nexus maybe, uh, in just the world of tennis. Is there a place for an exhibition-style event like this? Are there rules you think maybe could be applicable to the actual game, just your general vibe on UTS after, you know, week one? My general vibe on it was that it reminded me a lot of, like, original OG, this is before my time, but original OG 1970s world team tennis, where they were just like, hey, let's kind of reinvent things completely and see what we can get away with and just make it look like something different, right? So, like, World Team Tennis tried to make itself look like a, like, a, like the NBA or something, like teams playing in an arena on a court, you know, for set quarters, whatever they would have. And and, and I think a lot of uh, UTS is based around sort of esports type stuff, right? It was, like, commentators where they had that, like, cards being played. And, and the, time, the, the score system they had where people – it was, like, who can win the most points in this 10-minute stretch? I have never seen – I don't know if you have either. I've never seen tennis with a clock. Like, where a clock... It's like basketball or something where, like, whoever scores the most points in this allotted period of time on the clock wins. And so those are, like, really radical changes to tennis, I gotta say. Uh, and so I appreciate them taking those swings and doing things and and taking chances and being out there. Are those things successful? Like, I, that's a separate question. I don't know. But I, I really do appreciate the genuine disruptive energy of UTS of being out there uh, trying really different things, really different kinds of marketing, very different tonally. Everything was, it felt very new and very different. A lot of times people will say, oh, I've reinvented this or totally reimagined something in tennis. And it's like, oh, what did you do? It's like, well, the lines used to be white. So I made them like off white. It's like, okay. But like the UTS was genuinely weird and genuinely different and genuinely out there. So like I applaud them for going for it i applaud commissioner rick for for going for it uh in that way what 
does it have a place in tennis beyond you know core time like i don't know like i who knows if it's gonna get the players or the finances or the fans or whatever but i think that there's you know hopefully some, something about it can stick and this is what uh happened with like world team tennis world team tennis uh led to there being a lot more combined tournaments led to there being eventually later on like multicolor hard courts which were a thing that were invented in world team tennis and now they're completely ubiquitous in the sport for hard courts every hard court now is more than one color uh, there's also, you know, Hawkeye was in World in Tennis years before it was in uh, the tours. So I think having these sort of petri dishes for experimentation can be really positive for the sport. Uh, and that goes to like what we've seen too with like next gen finals on ATP. Like they try all sorts of stuff and throw all sorts of stuff at the wall. And maybe something will come out of it. Maybe something won't. But I think overall the uh, the idea is positive. And it's just been it, it's been it's cool to see someone take this opportunity to do something really different because this is a there is as much as there's a lot of restrictions now there's also a lot of freedom in some ways so i appreciate uh rick's vision there put it that way if it's success i don't know i'm not one to judge success or not but like the energy behind it i think it's cool and no i'm no longer confident because you know not only are you not jewish but i butchered his pronunciation of his name so i am definitely just going to call him commissioner rick at this point Uh um yeah in terms of for commissioner i can be jewish uh, for you if you want me to be jewish you want me to be jewish i'm jewish Look, it doesn't matter to me. I just think he might move down my mother's favorite podcast guest ranking. She's traditional I know. in that sense. Yeah. No, no see, that. I just I feel like every time I tell people like I, I hate being asked, it's like I just should want to lie and just say because people like you know, are always disappointed to hear that I'm not. They're never like, You're not Jewish? Like, yes. Like no, no it's always like, I think the compromise it's bad is news the, to bring people. No, the compromise is the answer is you just say it's a quarter. You just say, I'm a quarter. And everyone be like, oh, okay, yeah, quarter. that makes a lot of okay. sense. Okay, I, yeah. I, should, I should just say quarter, yeah. It's like a compromise. Yeah. 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 Not that you need to compromise, by the way. Say whatever you no, want I to do. say. No, I do. I do. I need to salvage <laughs> some sort of Judaic <laughs> salvage. <in my> life. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Okay. Quarter oh, Jewish, yes. Funny. Quarter Jewish. Tell yes. your mother. She, yes. I can be All right, you're back up the power rankings. Goods. Yeah, yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, but no, you know, I, I, I think you nailed it. So I don't have much to add other than to say people have preconceived notions about uh, Commissioner Rick, and I think that may cloud their judgment in terms of this event and what he's trying to produce here and trying to execute. But I, you know, so frequently, how many times have we discussed how uh, unbalanced and just how rigorous and how crazy the tennis schedule is? And is there a world maybe in the future where if they see popularity for this or world team tennis or atp cup or labor cup or whatever it may be and they just decide to reformat the season because i don't think anyone's a hundred percent committed to the format of the season the way it's currently constructed and sure you know the u.s open probably always wants to hover around that labor day weekend australia is always going to want to be in january but if you could build a month two months somewhere in that June to July range where there's really a lot of Michigas and you sort of rearrange everything else, uh, there's a world where you could find two months for things like UTS, for things like World Team Tennis. You know, Adria Tour probably isn't going to need to go on at that point, but maybe you throw in Laver Cup and the Charleston-style Laver Cup, which I don't know if they've agreed on a name yet for it. Um, but all the, I think it's the Volvo Open. I think they just straight up called it the Volvo whatever team event. Um 
I see a world where that happens, you know, and that's really what you know Commissioner Rick is trying to achieve. And so I agree with you. It's been fun. It's been entertaining. Again, the virtuoso, the sniper, the Greek god. Like that's not what I usually call those three players. And so you know, it's better that than another BG nickname. I'm I'm all in on this. Yeah, I will say. First of all, Commissioner Rick means like he's like some cool camp counselor or something. <laughs> it's a little. So I'm getting. I, it's not aging well, but I like the general idea behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm excited for the change. Like, I don't know if I'm going to go to Europe for the clay season. I don't know what travel is going to entail, what media access is going to be like these terms, but I love the idea of there being a fall French Open. I love the idea of, like, French Open in, like, crisp autumn air with, like, leaves falling and stuff. That's, that's see, that that's orange leads on the orange clay that's just nice that's nice you know and 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 so much of tennis and me you know i think i think i feel it maybe more acutely than others being on the tour like i've been to uh let's say paris what like seven years in a row always like last week of may first week of june like and that's boring like you kind of get in a (laughs) rut and so like it's interesting having things getting shaken up uh you know, to see different parts of the world in times. I think that's, that's, I think that can be healthy. Uh, will everything fall back into place as it was? Probably mostly yes. And if whenever we get, uh, you know, 2021 schedule or whatever, or whenever, whenever things finally come back online, maybe it will be normal, but maybe people will find they like new things. Maybe Charleston, I think, is currently scheduled to have their main, the WTA event right after the US Open, right? So maybe they're going to say, hey, actually, we like doing this. Let's stay a fall event. Like maybe they won't, but. Maybe they will. Who knows? People won't know until they try. And so that's what I think. So that's where, I, again, I, I think the UTS taking this time for being freedom and for being experimenting. I would love to see US Open have tried that. And we get to, you mentioned it before in passing, but can I just say this would have been a wonderful moment to do best of three for the men. It would have been like the <laughs> best chance he'll ever get to do best of three for the men. Or no, no ad. To, I could have no need no, no ad. I do not know ad. I am not about that life. No way. Ad ad is life. It, it's just like it just bums me out, man. Because like, no one needs to play for five hours in front of nobody. Nobody needs to do that. That's terrible. Who wants yeah. that? Not not nobody. Nobody. And so yeah, maybe French Open will get on it. Maybe they'll do it. But this was a moment, man. This was a chance. I should have asked Stacy that. I, how, I haven't talked <laughs> yeah. to Stacy about five. I don't know how she feels. I don't yeah, know how she feels. No, I bet I feel a future NCR episode. I'm going to try and get her on our podcast before you get her on hers or on yours. That seems like go a for good it. Go for it. Competition yeah, I, 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 she, I'm sure she'd be happy to. Yeah. No. I'll again. I got to talk to my league people. Like I said, I'm more of a players and coaches guy at this point, but I'm working my way up the organizational structure. Um, and who is your who you is know, your who is your, put, dream, who is your dream guest currently that you haven't gotten yet? Well, let me want? just say it. Let me just Courtney. say, if you put in the good word with Stacy, like you have with Courtney, I know that I'm going to get the interview soon. Um, no, that was a little joke. I apologize. That that was unnecessary. That was an unnecessary take. Um, I mean, the obvious answer, and anyone who knows me would say you're lying if you don't give this answer, is Andy Murray. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was in tears when he was up getting closer. Like, I, I remember exactly where I was. I remember when he won the U.S. Open. I remember when he won the Olympics. I remember being like, oh, my God, like – Guys, it's happening. I remember where I was when he hit the Gasquet run into the stand shot at Wimbledon. I think that was mm-hmm. 07. You know, all of these different things. Uh, Andy Murray was always my guy, and I feel like I could crack him. I feel like I could get sarcastic Andy to emerge. I, I would love to hear that. 
Yeah, and so that's a dream guest. College tennis wise, I've gotten a lot of the good people I've wanted. I've been I've been very fortunate. I mean, look, who doesn't want Roger? Who doesn't want Djokovic? I mean, there's a lot of players I could name. You know, the, the with, list is endless. With, with Roger, obviously, like he's a he's a obvious answer to that question. But like, what question has he not answered? What is there? What you know? What is there left to learn about Roger? We know about Roger. Roger's story has been I... told. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, very good point. I think I could, with enough research, find some questions he hasn't been asked. Find some angles that would just be. Again, it's more the opportunity of that, right, than anything else. The, the good thing about Roger, though, is he has like an incredible memory. Like you could ask him about yeah. anything in his career, and he'd be game. He'd be like, "Hey, Roger, yeah. like O three Miami, that rain delay," and he'd be like, "Oh my yeah. god, that rain delay," like, or yeah. like. If Guillermo Canas is not sidetracked by all of the betting and the injuries and the whatever, is he your biggest rival throughout your career? Because he had you, you there in 05. No, actually, that is – I forget who was saying this. I want to say it was – No, it's been asked. Oh, no, 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 no. But there was somebody else who was talking about Kanyas and Federer. I want to say that it was Wertheim maybe? Mm-hmm. Who was this? There was somebody – it's going to bug me now. But – Kanyas and Federer is actually interesting because I think Kanyas is somebody who very uniquely got under Roger's skin. Roger mm-hmm. did not have a lot of respect for Kanyas, and it like rattled him. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a different topic, but yeah. Now, I mean, there's some other ones I would like to do. I would just there would be times I'd like to get a couple players in the room together. Look, I have a lot of scenarios. I've got a lot of things to work on, and again, I suppose this that's what I've been using during my quarantine time is thinking of some things I can you know taking advantage of this moment since some players seem to have some downtime, and certainly yeah. we've had the chance to talk to so many, so uh, it's been such a treat for us, and obviously. For me, it is always a treat when I get to talk to you, Ben. And so I appreciate you agreeing to come on the podcast on such short notice on you agreeing to give me another about hour and a half of your time for all of our listeners out there who, you know, may not be, I don't don't know how they would not be. If you're listening to this podcast, you are, I would say, you know, I'll do the math, 77% likely to be a follower already of at least you on Twitter, if not a follower of the podcast of your written content. But on the off chance our listeners are not, or they're part of their out there who are still looking to be persuaded on you and are like, you know what? I'm ready to give Ben a second chance. He seems very personable. A man with a mustache is a man I can trust. Uh, Where can all of our listeners find all of your work? Well, I was going to say, I think that like knowing me, like probably like 70% of your listeners probably follow me on Twitter. 23% 23% have probably unfollowed me on Twitter. And so I think that, like, everyone has had their chance to make up their minds on me, and that's that's fine. Uh, I am at Twitter, at Twitter at Ben Rothenberg, uh, newly mustached Twitter photo, which is getting, again, mixed reviews. And so we will – we'll see how it goes. I'm not I'm not mad at it currently. I – you know, there's not much to lose. And I – well, I have lost, like, lots of Twitter followers during this time. <laughs> during – not the mustache time particularly, but during during Quar – so I, I think I've lost like probably like 600 followers, which isn't that much, but it's, it's also like not insignificant either to like, just not be gaining and just losing is yeah. for a long streak. It's uh, it's, it's a lot of L's, but in I, Yiddish, I, I we'd call mind. that Nishkeet. Not good. Yeah. See? Yeah, I'm glad exactly. that you can feel like you can see. I am. I got, I got a quarter of that. So I'm at, <laughs> you got the knee. 
uh, part of that equation. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. No, I'm. I mean, again, I, I, I'm sure for our listeners, it's it, if all press is good press, so uh, you will take it. But seriously, we always appreciate having you on. I'm gonna throw one more at you. No preparation, uh, no nuance. I want your hottest of hot takes at this point. Yeah, your three favorite men, your three favorite women to win a hypothetical 2020 U.S. Open. And yes, we don't know who's gonna play. We don't know who's not gonna play. So this is purely speculative. Okay. Uh, Kennan. Okay. Wow. Uh, you know, last slam champ. I don't think it's that. People forget that. Yeah. She did win a grand slam this year. Uh, Kiki Burtons is somebody that. who I think will Love thrive that. in a no crowd environment. She hates crowds. Like, she wants no one to look at her, no one to watch her. Happy to be played on court, you know, 18 and just, like, be, you know, very much an introvert or very shy on the court. So she really is somebody who could really, really take this uh, this moment. And, and if she plays you at some point, I'm not sure she's going to play, but if she does play, I think she could really thrive. Uh, so those are two. And then I think I'm going to cop out and go for two here instead of three. Uh, I'm going to say both of last year's finalists at the U.S. Open, both Andrescu and Serena. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that I think it's going to be fascinating to watch both of them. And it's fascinating to watch Serena with no crowd because she certainly really does – uh, sort of more and more and more she becomes sort of at one with her environment and feeds off the crowd and the crowd feeds off her and, and it's, it's very symbiotic in that way and so not having that is going to be it's going to be odd uh, okay dudes I let me real quick I'm just going to throw yeah yeah, I want to throw in my three women. I would add uh, yeah. all good choices by you, by the way. I would throw so in much. Kvitova and Pliskova because I just think limited time to get worked into the draw. They're two of the more experienced players in terms of slam experience. Uh, obviously, Pliskova has never made a deep run, but you just feel like under these funky circumstances. Pliskova made the U.S. Up and final. Come on now. No, no, I'm saying under these circumstances, this is like the perfect usual, unusual circumstance where Carolina Pliskova wins her first major. Everyone's like, oh, but it's an asterisk because it was a Corona major. That just fits her narrative perfectly. I just, I see the stories uh, writing themselves already. This is her title to I mean, win. The, so the poet, the poetry. Let me interrupt you. The poetry is really Serena winning and getting an okay. asterisk slam to go with all of Margaret Court's asterisk slams. That's yeah. really what matches. Like, if Margaret can win a bunch of a bunch of BS slams, so can Serena. And yeah. I honestly I'm don't also... think this slam will be that will that be asteriskable. I think if if you know if you get let's say sixteen in the top twenty women, that's a, that's game on. That's a real slam. Let's go. Yeah. No, that's fair. I would also, again, I'm just going to put two cents on Belinda Bencic, who's my Alex Zverev of the women's side, and that I just love her game. I will always irrationally love it, and I see the world where she dominates. And so uh, I'm just going to stay on that bandwagon. Yeah, the men is tough, uh, especially in a world where the big three don't play. I think regardless entry the event— Dominic team has to be considered uh, the third guy in the Djokovic Rafa equation. Assume since Federer is out, I just think Dominic team over the last what 15, 16 months he has been so good at on every surface. You know that Australian Open final again. That was the last major play. That's where he was. He beat Rafa there. He beat Zverev in the semifinals. I think Tsitsipas is clearly confident. I think honestly, Matteo Berrettini has reasons to be confident. This is just me plugging a tweet of mine. Is Berrettini considered more <laughs> a dark horse or a contender if the big three don't play? But yeah, it, it's tough. It feels like there is a world where I could name 
17 different guys, especially if the big three don't play, and you would be like, yeah, sure. There's a, there's a world where that guy wins the men's title. Okay, I'll give you three names. No real rationale because, again, I think we're shooting in the dark. But, yep. well, four. I'm going to give you four again. Uh, Zverev, I think, you know. Thank you. Is, is somebody who, again, we could have been in a situation where he really springboarded off of his Australian Open semi. He's somebody who seems to be working very hard throughout the year. He went to Saddlebrook. He's somebody also that's not social distance at all, we can tell. <laughs> and so he's very possibly going to get corona soon. So that would hurt his chances if he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, uh, Dimitrov. I think is another oh. person who is like kind of a kind of always perennial, con- you know, perennial dark horse, I guess, or perennial long list contender, whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who is spent a lot of time in the U.S. Very comfortable there. Made semis last year. I think has like sort of doesn't need a crowd per se. Good headspace. Good. I think dialing down the noise could help Dimitrov. Um, uh, number three, I will pick Milos Ronich. There it is. The Ranich test still exists. Yeah. I think that, you know, the Ronich rule, as we called it, like... No rule, that's what it is. Yeah, the Ronich rule where he's going to win a slam because eventually the bar will go down to what it takes to mm-hmm. win a slam. Like, it still could happen, man. I mean, he still could be the guy. Uh, so Ronich is there. And then uh, fourth and probably most obviously, Yannick Sinner is the best player in the sport currently. <laughs> so there's no reason why he shouldn't win this tournament. Perfect. That is the exact right place to end today's podcast. I have nothing more to add to that. I think we hit it all. So, Ben, as always, a huge thank you to you for taking the time to chat. Hope you stay safe, stay healthy. I look forward to, to seeing your smiling face with that mustache on Zoom press conferences moving forward as we get closer and closer to the resumption of pro action. Thank you very much, Alex, for having me. This was a, a pleasure. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, stay safe out there. Yeah, of course. Take care, Ben. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Ben, and of course, always a huge shout out to him and a big thank you for taking the time to come on the show. You know, Ben's time doesn't come cheaply, folks. Uh, Everyone wants him, and justifiably, because he's one of, if not the best in the business, Um, you know, someone who's been such a dear friend to me, I will say, early in my career. I'm always so appreciative of getting the time to chat with him, and, you know, people give him a lot of bluster on social media, but there cannot be someone who is more encouraging, someone who has literally said to me every step of the way, said, you know, no, it's so great to have you you know he to his credit he's like no I want this is he's just he pushes me to be my best he encourages me he enjoys you know everyone's looking for a little competition right that's half of the name of life or at least that's the sort of person I am and you know to have not to say we compete against one another but he certainly brings out the best in me and he's been so encouraging along the way and so obviously also well versed in the game of tennis so appreciate him taking the time to chat and of course go check out his work for the New York Times go check out his work across a bunch of different platforms of course his no challenging no challenges remaining podcast being one of them all of you can listen to as well and you know big shout out to him for taking the time to chat once again of course we've had a lot of great conversations here on our cracked rackets podcast as of late this past weekend we were preoccupied with our inaugural cracked rackets open a phenomenal event saw former atp player ronnie schneider saw some current top college guys top juniors in the field as well i talked about that 
on Wednesday's mini break as well as uh, we played our conversation we had with NJTL of Indianapolis director Dax Lowry, a fantastic program that brings tennis uh, to uh, communities that may not otherwise get to experience the sport and a program we can all get behind. So, you know, to learn more about that, to learn more about our event this past weekend, some of my takeaways, be sure to go listen to that mini break. Uh, of course, I believe Vicki Duvall on her uh, her show, She, I think she had Madison Brangle this week. I know she had Jack Sock last week. She she continues to kill it with the guests, uh, so be sure to go check that out as well. I mentioned at the top, getting to the point, our series we do with Arrow Bars. Uh, this week, we had Bjorn Fertangelo on the show, so be sure to go check out that podcast. Of course, college tennis-wise, we're still rocking and rolling there as well. Sam Riffis, Oliver Crawford, Alexa Graham, Ashley Leahy, Brianna Schvetz, Elliot Spaziri, Gianni Ross, all interviews we've done. Chris Woodruff, Tim Russell, Will Blumberg, you name it. You can find them on our Cracked Interviews podcast, and then, of course, the Inside Out podcast rocking and rolling season one our look at the best american male tennis players throughout the open era uh it's our first narrative based show i know all of you will enjoy it i also know all of you will enjoy our youtube channel things such as hitting one our video uh series following the life of division one men's tennis player alex russian Overserved, cr classics video interviews and more find it all by subscribing to our youtube channel by hitting that subscription button by the way you guarantee you won't miss any of the incredible content our super producers Max Ligner and Daniel Westhoff continue to crank out because they always do a fuck of an editing job. Day in, day out, they continue to kill it. It's what makes working here at Cracked Rackets so much fun. So shout out to the both of them. And again, if you've missed any of our content, the website is CrackedRackets.com. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Feel free to follow us at Cracked Rackets. You want to send me a message directly. It's at GreatShotPod as well. Again, another big shout out to our friends at DraftKings. Go to DKNG.com. Uh, co slash cracking rackets to get in on the action. Also, shout out to our friends at Aerobar, aerobar.com. The promo code is cracked15 to get 15% off your order. But with that being said, for our wonderful guests, Ben Rothenberg, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at both DraftKings and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. 